This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also join the Facebook group at uh, f- typing in Obsessive Viewer Podcast into Facebook. <laughs> I don't, there's like, Facebook groups do not have like, good links oh yeah uh yeah but anyway you can find that at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer um and if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast please head over to itunes and leave a rating and review the more ratings and reviews we get the easier it will be for people to find the show in itunes's search results and if you want to show your support with your wallet you can do that by clicking the donate button on obsessiveviewer.com for a one-time donation or by clicking the donate link in the show notes of this episode. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where you can choose from several different reward tiers, including the um, popular um, $5 reward tier that has us, uh, that forces us to say anything that you wish. Any donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running so we can continue to provide you with uh, our weekly podcasts that kind of get released later and later in the week as my job uh, in social life become more demanding <laughs> um <laughs> uh anyway uh so final bit of news here is a uh, bit of intro here in housekeeping is that tickets are on sale for shocktober nervington 3 at shocktobernervington.com it's a uh, one night event screening of short horror films taking place on October 14th, 2016 at the Irving Theater. You'll have more information in the uh, promo that we'll play later in this episode. But I just want to mention that as a special bonus for listeners of the podcast, you can get $1 off the price of admission when you use the promo code podcast one when you buy your tickets. Tickets are only $8 and all the money gets donated straight to the Irvington Historical Society. So that is awesome and we're looking forward to it. Okay, so having said all of that, um, Tiny, how you doing? I am wonderful. Great, that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, pray tell, are we going to be talking about today on the podcast? Today we're going to be talking about some of our favorite raunchy comedies. Right. Uh, but first, news. Oh yes, we do have a news segment this week. Um, we have not been trying that, trying to figure that out three times. But anyway... <laughs> We do have news this week. Uh, we have a few things that I want to bring up for our news segment this week on the podcast. First of all is another quick plug for Shocktober and Irvington. Um, we've collected some prizes that we're going to be giving away at Shocktober and Irvington. We have a bunch of uh, really cool DVDs to give away. Um, we have two copies of The Shining. And we have a copy of Trick or Treat, a copy of The Collector, and also a, um, a DVD of all all seven Saw movies. So... Uh, that'll those will be raffled off at the event on October fourteenth, and I'm really excited about it. So, um, our next piece of news, Tiny, are you ready for this? I am ready. Okay, so Bloodline was officially canceled by Netflix today. Oh, it hurts. Yep. Um, they had already ordered season three, so season three is going to be the final season of Bloodline, which. Uh, you know, I can't really say that much about it because I've only seen the first season, but this is kind of a downer for me because I really liked that first season. Um, Tiny, how did how do you feel about this news? 
I mean, it's a bummer. I I get it because, you know, I, I'm not sure how popular it is. I'm not sure how it mm-hmm. fits into the, uh, the ladder, if you will, of the importance of Netflix shows. Sure. Um, you know, maybe you, um, Daredevil's up up at the top and then Mm -hmm. whatever's at the bottom. And maybe this is one of the bottom, bottom rungs of the ladder could be. Sure. Um, so I, I can't really speak to that. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know the decision making processes, but I, I know there's a lot of things that played into it. There's probably some creative issues. There's probably, um, I know one of the things I read is that the first two seasons of the show were substantially cheaper because in Florida they had like the the whole uh, tax break thing. Ah. Where if you're, you know, filming a movie or show, whatever there, you sure. get certain tax breaks and apparently that ended. So oh. that was going to substantially increase the budget for the show. Um so that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's understandable, but it's just, you know, it's, it's the never ending conflict between art and business. That's true. And also I'm, I'm reading an article now and like that, and it's all conjecture, but it's funny because that tax incentive thing is, uh, uh, result potentially resulted in Netflix even ordering 10 episodes for season three instead of 13. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, that's, it's a shame. And it's funny. I read that, um, this is only the third the third TV series that Netflix has canceled. Like in right. this entire run, there was uh oh, what is that? Hemlock Grove and Lilyhammer were both canceled by Netflix and right. now Bloodline. But um, it's funny you mentioned the kind of the totem pole of Netflix original series and and the ladder of the rungs of the ladder and everything. There are like um, I would say yeah that the top the top of it is probably House of Cards, Oranges of the New Black, all the yeah. Marvel shows, and then probably closer to the bottom is stuff like Grace and Frankie and some of the other like some of the some of the smaller shows that were all that weren't necessarily created by Netflix but like they're just distributing them so they get the moniker of Netflix original. Uh-huh. But I kind of I feel like I feel like Bloodline was kind of somewhere in the middle there. It was uh yeah, very critically acclaimed mm-hmm. from my from my perspective, but I still don't know how season 2 shaped out, so shaped up. Right. <laughs> well, and you got to we'll give see. Netflix a lot of credit because at least you know they didn't just completely axe the show. They're giving them 10 more episodes like right you know and they let them know before they start filming like hey these are your last episodes to do do your best with them and so that's I, true I, I definitely respect that mm-hmm. as a as a um as a fan and there's a lot of studios or, or networks or whatever that would not do that and right that's I, they deserve some credit for that sure and i actually don't know if they're actually if they're where they are in the process of production now so i mean they could be filming but oh really okay. i don't know if they are or not but well, yeah it's a shame it's a shame but i'm sticking to my gun sure <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh moving on to our last piece of news actually we're kind of a light on news this week is uh star trek discovery that was originally set to premiere january 2017 but now it's been pushed back to may and uh you know, this is this is interesting to me. It's not that surprising per se, because um, there's really, I mean, we're almost to October now, and it's like we haven't had much of any details or any any footage at all of of this show going forward. So it's kind of, in a sense, I'm kind of relieved that it got pushed back um, for yeah. a few reasons. But uh, Tiny, what do you think about this? Are you? Um, 
are you interested in Star Trek Discovery? And how do you feel about this this recent news? Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. Um, I I'm getting into Star Trek. I'm watching, working my way through the original series now. Nice. And I want to watch all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a huge undertaking. It's Same take, here. It's gonna take a while. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna watch it. I'm going to, and so I'm I'm very interested in it. I'm I'm glad with this decision. I think giving creative people more time to do their craft is usually a good thing. Uh, I realize sometimes it's, it can be the sign of, of, you know, negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think since, since the show isn't even out yet and it's like, they haven't done a lot yet. I think it's, I'm, I'm looking at it as a positive light and I'm hoping that it's a positive thing. Um, and also I think it's, I think it's going to be good that it's a summer show. Uh, that is going to air over the summer because I feel like the fall is just so competitive and so many mm-hmm. shows just get lost in the shuffle. In winter, but it would technically be winter. Right. Um, wait, what? It was supposed to be out in January. I know what I'm saying, but now it's going to be May. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. You yeah. said fall like like it was going to re- be released in fall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did say that. I don't know why I said that. I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to cut off all of the uh, angry emails we'll be getting. Yeah, we will. I'm sure. <laughs> but I, I I like summer shows. People have more mm-hmm. time. It feels like people have more time in the summer. People are looking for something new over the summer, I think. And uh, I feel like sports kind of dominate the fall and winter now. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think May's a good time to release the show. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope it's, it's going to be... Uh, more successful ratings wise that way sports with a z s-p-o-r-t-z oh like comedy sports here in uh indianapolis on mass Ave, they have a place that it's like yes. improv okay yeah. it's where you take a thing and you put it through another thing and there's like it can be one I person mean, I, or like I, i'm not gonna make that joke <laughs> not gonna make that joke this is a family-friendly you t- podcast you take some kind of ball whether it's round or oblong shaped and you put it into another thing it's usually made out of some kind of animal skin. I just keep digging a deeper you hole. You do, yeah. And I, I don't know how to respond to this. And <laughs> Brian Fuller. So yeah, is the producer. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh. Yeah. Did you have more to say on that, or did you? No. Want to no. Okay. Cool. Uh, so anyway, Brian Fuller, he's the showrunner for this series, and I have faith in him because I really liked his work in Hannibal, and. Uh, like you said, I'm, I'm also getting into Star Trek. I've watched the entire original series and also the animated series. Tiny, you can just, you can skip that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I actually found out, like, after I watched it, that it wasn't even considered canon, um, oh. by Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> so, wow. but I mean, and it's not bad. It's not bad. It was funny because when Fekus came over to record a podcast a while ago, I was in the middle of watching it and, like, he just pointed out just, Knee jerk pointed out, like, the animation is exactly like the animation style of, uh, the ambiguously gay duo from SNL, those oh, animated shorts, and gotcha. like that kind of ruined the entire show for me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I, I mean, yeah, more time to work on it. Great. That, that's good news for me. I'm willing to wait for it, um, because I'm really anxious to see, uh, new Star Trek on, on TV. I say that having seen maybe like a tenth of the amount of television that uh, Star Trek has on television, but right. that's neither here nor there. But anyway, um, having said that, let's go on to the main event. Let's do it. Yes. This week on the podcast, we are discussing some of our favorite raunchy comedies, our favorite raunch coms, if you will. Please do, anyone? Please. Yeah, Please. We want it to be a thing. 
Um, anyway, so we kind of have this concentrated list of 12 movies spanning the 1980s all the way to the 2000s. And uh, we're just kind of going to go through them one by one. I don't know how much real insight I'm going to have on a lot of these. Yeah. Um, it's just I haven't seen several of them in a while. But some of them I'm very, very much um, interested in. So, Tiny, do you want to kind of bring us into it with the first one? I would love to. Um, first of all, I think it's it's important to, like, like list or define our own definitions of what a raunch comedy yes, is. Yes, we definitely should do that because I had trouble thinking of what exactly... Yeah, well, it's super broad. It is. Because raunchy can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And what's raunchy to one person is not raunchy to another necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it for some reason, I don't know why, maybe this is a little misguided, but I always associate a raunchy comedy like there has to be like sex in it. Like it has to be about someone trying to get laid or like, uh, this girl's super hot or I don't know. It has to be, it's, it's always a very shallow endeavor for, mm-hmm. uh, the conquer, conquering, uh, nature of sex, I guess. Um, but you know, there's plenty of like comedies out there that people would consider raunchy where it's not really about that. Like there's not, like it's not necessarily about sex. There might be some sure. sexy stuff in it or whatever, but so th- it's just kind of weird. That's just the own perception that I've taken, my own perception that I've I've taken that I relate to raunchy comedies. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I gravitated towards when I was thinking of this. Like some other lists that I found mentioned the movie like I Love You Man, which. There's some sex in there and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but I just don't consider it that raunchy. Me neither. I mean, it's rated R and there's like a bunch of F-bombs and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like cursing is only raunchy if you're 10. You know what I mean? Like, right. If you're an adult and someone's like, oh, oh my God, he said the F word. Oh, I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, <laughs> calm down. Um, I don't know. Again, that's just a personal opinion, but. I, I just don't see that as a raunchy comedy. Right. And and I'll agree with you and say that dictionary.com nice. <laughs> defines raunchy as vulgar or smutty, crude, earthy, obscene, or dirty, slovenly, grubby. So, I mean, yeah, technically it doesn't necessarily need to be sexual in nature, just something vulgar and obscene and, and kind of, uh, I would, I would... <laughs> I would refer to them as pearl clutchers, like <laughs> nice movies. That, I like that. Yeah, uh, movies that make you make little old ladies clutch their pearls and yeah. say, "Oh my word, I, that man has his thing in a pie." <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Tweet us hashtag pearl clutchers. Anyway, yes, please um, do. Please do. Right. That's gonna. Man, if that went viral, I cannot imagine the kind of tweets that, that would be associated with that hashtag. Yeah. Out of context. Oh boy. Don't, oh boy. uh, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't, <laughs> don't overestimate our audience. Yeah, we don't have, like, <laughs> I don't think we can go viral. That's true. But anyway, know. hashtag Pearl Clutchers 2016. Yes, go for it. Um, anyway. <laughs> one of the, one of the other, like, requirements I was thinking of is, it really almost has to be rated R. Yeah. Oh, I agree completely. But again, I started digging into this a little bit and like one of the first movies that came to mind for me was like Weird Science. 
Sure. PG-13. Really? That movie's PG-13. You know, it's a different time. Uh, yeah. Like, there was a really great episode of uh, Slash Filmcast where they uh, interviewed Joseph, uh, Joseph Kahn, who directed that Power Rangers short film, Power Slash Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, it's kind of amazing because he, like, they can barely, the hosts can barely get a, a word in edgewise. But he goes on several rants about how, um, about how they, how the industry, the movie industry these days is just so contingent on like, on like being, hitting all four quadrants. Studios are making PG 13 movies that should be rated R movies. And it's just going into this, like he goes into a rant. I highly recommend checking it out. But anyway, um, it's funny because different times, like PG 13 back in the eighties meant something completely different than PG 13 now. Um, PG 13 now is more, um, they get away with more things, but as long as they don't show certain things, they can, they get a pass. Right. And it's kind of, or I, I guess, I, I don't know what point I'm trying to make. It's just, and in PG 13 in the, the eighties, it's just kind of rougher, I think. Right. So, yeah. And it, submitting your film for a certain rating it's ratings are very subjective it's it's really like a, a panel of people who make a decision mm-hmm. whether or not you get the rating that you submit and it's it, that's just so so subjective in nature that it's like you know if the person doesn't like the movie they're probably not going to give you the rating and so you you would think that ratings would be a very you know set in stone thing like if you show this it's going to get this if you show that you're going to get that but it's 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 very open to interpretation. So right, there was a documentary called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Did you ever see that? I sure did. Yeah. Did you? Mm-hmm. How was it? Because it is not available anywhere. Oh really? Yeah, and it's kind of strange. It was uh, it was surprising to me because I really didn't understand the process of how movies got rated. But mm-hmm. they basically broke it down, and it's it's literally like a panel of people. Yeah. And I mean, they just they make decisions based on this and that, and like they in the documentary they broke down how. There are certain things that if you submit it, like if you sub, if you have this in your film and you submit it as a PG thirteen movie, they're not gonna they're not gonna give it to you. They're all, they're going to uh, rate it as a rated R movie, and it's it's really interesting because like one of them was I, I don't mean to be vulgar, but one of them is like if you show a person climaxing, uh, if it's a man, you can probably get away with your PG thirteen rating, but if it's a woman, you're gonna get a rating an R rating, and it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of this weird misogynistic. Mm-hmm thing where it's like we can't allow a woman to have that much pleasure on screen without it being a rated r movie it's oh it was, my stars yeah exactly <laughs> hashtag bro clutches yeah it was such it was such a an odd exploration of that mm-hmm. concept and i it, it was just interesting but it was very fascinating i was <laughs> i was very uh i was pleased with the documentary nice and if you want to watch this film is not yet rated you can go over to uh amazon and pay 74.99 for the dvd of it what yeah it's interesting because i don't know why i don't this is all conjecture but it kind of feels like maybe this isn't you know released or anything because you know well, it's kind of interesting. It's it's a very anti-establishment movie. Exactly. And, you know, the establishment's probably pissed off that it's out there, so mm-hmm. that's probably why they're not printing it anymore, and it's hard to find. Right. It's not available for rent on Google Play either. That's a shame. Yeah. It's it's kind of a it's kind of interesting. I'm trying to look up and see what uh, why it's uh, I can't find it. But anyway, um, yeah, kind of strange. But anyway, yeah. 
that fell into some tangents there. <clears throat> it but. did. So why don't you get us kicked off? Sure. I said I said like ten minutes ago, like, hey, why don't you get us kicked off? Yeah. <laughs> no. So why don't you get us kicked off with the first pick? Yeah, the first one. We're gonna kind of go in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Um, coms kind of kicked off in the eighties. Pretty much. There's a couple in the 70s. Probably. But uh, it really took off in the 80s. Um, one of the most notable ones, and the one that came to mind for me, was 1981's Porky's. Gap movie. Oh, really? Gap well, movie? technically not. I watched it when I was like a preteen. Yeah. And uh, I barely remember it. Mm-hmm. It's like... I'm kind of in the same boat. Really? Unfortunately. Um, oh, this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I have fond memories of it um, because boobs... Sure, um, sure. But like, I I saw it way too young. I saw it when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And, but like, I think I saw it on like Comedy Central, but then Ooh. you could see it on like Showtime, and so like <laughs> I I saw like different edited ver- versions of it, and I saw, but then I saw the full on rated R unedited version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I mean I I genuinely liked it because I thought it was. As you know, an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, I thought it was really awesome that these guys were sneaking into a girl's locker room and watching them change <laughs> clothes, and that's disturbing. Um, but you know, I was a, I was a child and sure. a little boy, and <laughs> naked girls—that was a nice thing. Right. Um, objectively, uh, I think it's a pretty—it's obviously a very dumb movie, um, but it's it's set in the fifties, and it's about uh, a group of high school guys who try to get their friend laid. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it's a classic raunchcom, uh, equation there. Um, and they get into some trouble with like a nightclub owner. Uh, there's a sheriff who's like a very, um, uh, Dukes of Hazard kind of sheriff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of very, by today's standards, a very X plus Y equals Z kind of thing. And, you know, you kind of know where you're headed. And, but at the time, I think it was a semi original. Um, concept for a movie, and and I think that's why uh, people who came of age in the early '80s really latched onto the movie, and it became a cult classic uh, for that reason. I I really need to see it again, and you know, uh, consume it as an adult. Um, it's 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 been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, and I can't really uh, I can't really uh, say much about it either because I. I just have barely any memory of it. I remember seeing the kind of like iconic scene um, with the, with the glory hole apparently. Right. But I don't, don't really remember much about it, but yeah, but it was a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was like a, I guess groundbreaking sort of yeah. movie. But I mean, when I did research for this topic, several different places around the internet. This was at the top of a lot of lists. Yeah. Near the top of a lot of lists. So, right. And even though we can't really speak that much about it, we can't, can't really talk about raunchy comedies without bringing it up. So, you know, right. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. Uh, and as far as seventies real quick, and we've already talked about this movie on the podcast before, but animal house is up there too. It's that definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, next up is Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982, which I I didn't really, yeah. I mean, it was it it was a bit raunchy, yeah. I uh, I can definitely see that. Um, but I this movie is kind of kind of close close to me, like a little near and dear to my heart because it's it's a lot more endearing than what 
the subject would have it uh, be regarded as. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about kind of a slice of life, like teen teen lives in in this in this town, um, more so than anything. But there is some really funny gags. Like, I mean, Phoebe Cates in the pool and Judd Reinhold. Um, uh, roughing up a suspect yeah. to her, um, <laughs> is uh is really is really a, an iconic sequence and everything. And it's really it's really funny. I don't know. I, I I love this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's uh it's really good. Yeah, and and the movie is, I I think movies like Animal House and Porky's came out, and then I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was like the mainstream movie that really took off and became kind of a household household name, if you will, which is kind of antithetical to the whole concept of a rom-com. Sure. Um, but still, like, I, th- I think you know what I mean. It, be- it just became mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, a lot of these movies are like kind of like fantasy service. I mean, it's like they're, they're fantastical. You know, it's Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool and just ripping her top off. That is, that is a fantasy. That doesn't really happen. You know what I mean? It's just, right. and that's, I think, I think that's why a lot of teenage dudes and dudes mm-hmm. in their twenties really latched onto this movie and love this movie is because mm-hmm. that is a literal fantasy that you're watching. And it's like, that's, that's why this movie and a lot of these other movies are popular is because mm-hmm. you're living a fantasy to, to an extent. Right. And what I like about it also is that what Cameron Crowe does with it is that he, he kind of finds a middle ground with it because we do have that raunchy aspect to it, but it's also, there's some actually some really good stuff about sex and coming of age in it. Like Jennifer Jason Lee's arc in it is, is really, I mean, really pretty serious. Right. And, yeah. And, and it's not played for laughs or anything. It's just, it's just a straight drama and it's, it's, the movie has a good middle ground between, um, the two, the, the more serious and the more, silly aspects of, of sex and, and teen angst and teen coming of age. Um, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it kind of finds a nice balance between those. And I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't mean to remove all philosophy or like, you know, uh, important things that the movie actually did tackle. I'm just saying Phoebe Kate's topless. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, I think that's why it's popular. I'll put it, it is. that way. That's I don't... kind of the takeaway from not, not the takeaway, not the takeaway from <laughs> it. It's, it's kind of what pop culture has, um, reduced fast times at Ridgemont high down to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember when I first saw it, I didn't really get it. I didn't really get the appeal of the movie because I knew about that sequence. And I thought that that was in, indicative of what the entire movie was. But it's really not. It's a more. It's a much more grounded and much more serious movie than than what pop culture would have you think. Agreed. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, up next is 1984's Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. This is another one that automatically came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's kind of a good thing that that for me, a lot of these movies, my experiences with them happened when I was younger. Because mm-hmm. I guess I mean, in tr- they're intrinsically childish. Uh, because you're talking about silly, frivolous things and it's all, it's all about objectifying women and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but I think if I had come, if I had seen a lot of these movies as an adult, I, I would have just passed them off completely. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Revenge of the Nerds is definitely that for me because I watched this a ton as a kid. Um, 
and I, I just thought it was funny and you know it's like again it's it's kind of intrinsic intrinsically childish and and goofy and everything um not to say that the movie doesn't offer anything um for those who don't know revenge of the nerds is about a group of nerds at a college campus who are uh they become outcasts on campus because they can't join any kind of fraternity or anything like that. So they decide to start their own. Um, and they kind of find their way into this already established, uh, fraternity where it's like, they don't discriminate for any reason. So that's how the nerds be able, are able to join a fraternity. Mm. You've, you've seen the movie, you know what it's about. Um, it's, this movie is, I think popular and it's recognized in this subgenre. Because it kind of established the dynamic of like jocks versus nerds. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like earlier movies like Animal House and Porky's to an extent and some of these other movies, it didn't really have that aspect to it. I feel like the kind of jockey guys and the nerdy guys weren't necessarily best buddies, but they were, they like existed. You know, there's always bullying and stuff like that, but it wasn't, it wasn't the focal point of the conflict or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie just really focused on that. Um, and like I said, it's, it's grounds for, it's grounds for comedy. You know, there's, there's lots of solid comedy in this movie. Um, like the guy named Barf. Is that his name? Barf? Uh, the sounds Belch, right, I think. Something like that. Um, we actually, we, t- we talked about Revenge of the Nerds back in OV 101, mm-hmm. uh, our college movies episode in Booger. Booger. His name's Booger. Nice. So basically the same thing. Nice. Right. And, uh, and like I remember in that episode, I, I, uh, just not really that crazy about Revenge of the Nerds. I think that's a symptom of me watching it at too old an age. Yeah. Um, cause it just, it just was too silly and over the top for me. Um, I haven't revisited it since, but I, I haven't really had an, in a, uh, a desire to either. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the movie culminates with, a, a basically a talent show. And right. The nerds sing a stupid ass song and like they won the talent show. Mm-hmm. And there's, what you could essentially consider a rape in the movie. Basically one of the nerds pretends to be someone else at a costume party. That's right. In order to have sex with a girl. And that happens. And it just, it's, it, it works out because it, she just so happens to be into it and she doesn't <laughs> freak out that some dude she didn't know just had sex with her. It's kind of hard to explain unless you see the movie, but, um, you know, in a perfect world, or not in a perfect world, but in the fantasy, <laughs> in a fantasy world, <laughs> please cut that out. Uh, in the fantasy world of this nerd's mind, this is how it's supposed to work out, and it works out mm. in, in the right way. But if you put it into a different context, it's he raped her, and it's yeah. it's kind of disturbing. As a kid, I didn't get that, but you know, like thinking about it as an adult, I'm like, that's that's messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the movie has its flaws and it has its ups and downs, and. It's really goofy, and, and I agree with you. It's over the top, um, but uh, it's it's a popular movie, and I think with a certain audience, it really resonates. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Like I said, I, I'm not likely not going to revisit it anytime. It, it soon. does have a positive message of like uh, inclusiveness. You know, don't discriminate against people and all that stuff. But sure, yeah, yeah. Know, treat everyone with respect and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But at the end, it's got a guy named Booger in it. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so next up is 1985's Weird Science. This is a movie that I haven't seen um, since 2013 when I posted on the blog 
when I actually posted written reviews, when I post written reviews on the website, I really need to get back into that, is, uh, it was in May of 2013. So. Wow. Yeah, so Tiny, do you want to take the reins on this one real quick? Sure. Uh, I think the last time I saw it was probably like May of 1998. Um, no, I'm kidding. Wow. Uh, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but this is another one of those movies I watched a lot. This is 1985's Weird Science. Um, I, br- I brought it up in the intro because it is interesting that it's PG-13. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie is is literally pure fantasy to the point where you're talking about science fiction. Um, it's like it's so fantastical that it's it's sci-fi. They had to use uh, fake science to to make it uh, to make it to make the movie work. Um, if you don't know, weird science is about two nerds who literally create a human woman in a lab. And it's mm-hmm. like they use a computer to create a person, which is just, which is really silly and obviously impossible. But again, it, it, um, it taps into fantasy because, you know, if you can fantasize, you can literally make any woman have any characteristic or, uh, personality that you want. That's literally a fantasy. Um, so it's, it's, it's very fantastical and kind of hard to wrap your head around in that respect. But, you know, it's also a great, a great scenario for comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. this has Anthony Michael Hall in it. Um, who I think was, I think he was a great child actor, essentially teen actor. I'm a, I'm a fan of his work. I mean, uh, you know, breakfast club's a great movie and Mm -hmm. 16 candles. I mean, he's, he's a great actor. Yeah. Um, but then the, uh, his friend in the movie, Ian Mitchell Smith. I didn't know his yeah. name. His his voice. It's like a frog being tortured, or it's like a, it's like a, it's like a frog's going through puberty. That's what his voice sounds nice. like. Um, and that's that's a terrible thing to focus on because mm-hmm. you know he does a good job in the movie. But um, it was. I remember even as a kid, I was like, why is his voice so annoying? <laughs> um, and then the uh, absolutely stunning and iconic Kelly LeBrock as Lisa, mm-hmm. the woman they create. It's 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 an iconic movie in my mind for that reason. Mm-hmm. Just the the I don't know. I th- I think the fantasy coming to fruition and then the two guys realizing that you know there's a lot more than just coming up with the the cup size of a woman's breast. There's a lot more to that than right. you know. You need a lot more to, than that in your relationships and you know they they both end up finding real women that mm-hmm. they love and they, they fall in love with them. And it, it has an interest. I don't know about interesting, but it has a good moral twist in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a, a positive movie for that. Um, and it's, it's a relatively funny movie. It, I mean, it is a John Hughes movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, the, check his resume. He was an incredible storyteller and filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think this is a, one of the more, this is where the genre started to like shift a little bit, in my opinion, sure. towards more moral and less just about selfishness. I think it's, it's a little bit more of a uh, grounded movie, despite the fact that it's super science fiction y and fantasy ish. <laughs> so, right. I, uh, so when I saw it back in 2013, this was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I, I was kind of disappointed in it, honestly. Really? Yeah. Um, Looking back on it, I think at the time it was because I was writing a review of basically uh, a retrospective on John Hughes, uh, just written reviews, um, uh, and the posts are awful. I, <laughs> it's just it's three years ago when I first started out the blog and everything. I didn't know what I was doing, but anyway, 
I just remember that I I was just let down because at the time I had watched um, Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles, and those are two like really incredible movies. And going from that to this really out there um, sci-fi comedy teen comedy thing was kind of off-putting to me. And there were some there were some interesting aspects to it. I liked the premise a lot. Um, and, and I thought that it w- went in some interesting areas and everything, but like there's a, there's a scene with Anthony Michael Hall where he gets drunk and he is, uh, doing this really obnoxious imitation of something like it, like a trumpet player or something. It's a little racist. It's, it's, a, it's, I don't, I don't know if, it, yeah, I guess it would be kind of racist. It, it's a little just annoying to me. Yeah. It was like. It was really just got under my skin so much. And then there's an inclusion of kind of this Mad Max style biker gang. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And that, like, by that point, I was like, just kind of checked out. And I was just like, this is, this just, this went off the rails. And I was not, I was not a fan of it. Um, But for the premise itself, I think that it could have been a really strong movie. Um, But it just didn't really work for me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And again, I am mentioning all these movies from the perspective of like an 11-year-old or 12-year-old sure. for the most part. I think I saw Weird Science when I was in high school last, probably. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what do you we... got next, Maddie? All right. Uh, so the next one on the list is a movie that I'm I'm particularly fond of. This was kind of a formative movie for my uh, teen years. Um, American Pie. Nice. From 1999. And, uh, I mean, I can kind of, I kind of want to lump in at least the first sequel in it as well. Cause I was a big fan of American Pie too. Um, I was a big fan of American Pie also stupid. <laughs> anyway, um, don't laugh at that. <laughs> um, no, I was a huge fan of American Pie and American Pie too. And this was kind of the, um, jumping off point or it was kind of the, um, I you could probably say it was kind of the start of a trend of R-rated comedies, particularly R-rated like teen comedies of the time. Oh yeah. And it kind of brought about this kind of renaissance of teen comedies. And for my money, I I always say this and I always think that it's apt really, but I feel like, I feel like, um, um, oh wow. Uh, the Shannon Elizabeth webcam scene is like, is like our generation's Phoebe Cates getting out of the pool in Fast Times. Oh yeah, it's like it's yeah. so iconic and so what people our age when we saw it watched it for. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. um yeah, and it's I don't and it, and it's funny because it exists in this in this weird in this weird state between. Like when, like when the internet was like first kind of like really like, oh, it's not just a thing. It's like, it's a thing that we're going to live with forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's before like the internet became like an everyday thing, at least from my perspective, at least. Um, it's just like this weird, like, can they really, can they really just watch a live feed of something? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I kind of wonder what Jason Biggs's character's parents dial up um <laughs> bill was or whatever but anyway yeah. um but yeah and, and the movie itself is endearing as well because it it's not just about these 
for high school guys trying to get laid before prom. It's it's I mean, that is what it's about. But it's also it has some endearing qualities like Chris Klein and um, Chris Klein and Mina Suvari. They like their their arc is really endearing and very charming. And uh, yeah, I just I I really really like this movie. It's I haven't seen it for a while, but I like I know it like the. I know it like the back of my hand and that's not supposed to be a masturbation joke, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, this also, this movie also has a special place in my heart cause it's where I learned what lacrosse is. <laughs> <laughs> cause you're such a big lacrosse fan. I am. Yeah. <laughs> but tiny, what'd you, what'd you think of American pie? I feel like this was a movie that I pushed on you pretty, pretty hard. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wish I revered it as much as most of the people of our generation do. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't like the movie. It's funny as hell. And I think it's a great movie. I, there's, there's just people who had like it, like defined part of their teen years and the, the years where they came of age, like Matt is raising (laughs) his hand right now. And it's, it, for, for whatever reason, it's just not that for me. Sure. Um, it should be. I realize it should be. Um, part of it is that this movie came out in 1999. I was 12. Uh, my- <laughs> that's funny because i was too <laughs> I know. but like at the time like my parents like they weren't quite letting us letting me watch like rated r movies yet mm-hmm. um and i i think i didn't see this till like 2001 or 2002 okay um so it took me a while to see the movie uh in general um so that was part of it. I kind of, I kind of missed the curve on it. That's part of it. Sure. I, I missed it. I missed it when it was at its peak of popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree with what you said though. I think it did usher in this whole, uh, it ushered in a new genre or a new era of these kinds of comedies. And I feel like over the last three to five years, it started to wane again and it's not as popular. Somewhat. It, at least it's not so focused on teens anymore. That's true. It's, yeah. it's now like 20 somethings or 30 somethings. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of like movies like neighbors and, um, right. I guess that's still somewhat teens, yeah. um, as well, but it, it's kind of, it's, there's an older audience for it. stuff like 40 year old virgin knocked up and mm-hmm. I love you, man. Um, true. Yeah. But I mean, if you, if you notice, we, we jumped from weird science. We're going chrono- uh, chronologically here, uh, by release date. Weird science, 1985, American Pie, 1999. I, I can't think of many movies like this from the 90s. I, I feel like I, I can't either. I, I feel like the genre really established in the 80s and then in the 90s, it, it didn't disappear, but it was just, we didn't have tentpole movies like Revenge of the Nerds or American Pie in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I've seen American Pie is 1999, but. 1999 was kind of like right, right. 2000 light. Um, so I don't, I don't know what it was about the 90s, but maybe it's just that the genre itself is going to go through uh, roller coasters and, and highs and lows. And in the 90s, it was a low point. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny because this is an anecdote. I don't remember if I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but like 184 episodes, it bound to repeat some things. Yeah. But um, so <laughs> one of my... I guess fondest memories or one of the funniest, I don't know. One of the, one of the instances in my life where I laughed pretty hard was due to, and that's a weird way to bring it up. But anyway, (laughs) um, American pie, I saw it. I kind of want to say that I may have seen it in the theater. Wow. Um, like I think, cause I think tiny, do you remember the little dollar theater in the, yeah. In the shopping center here in speedway. Um, shout out speedway. But, um, (laughs) 
they, they had this little cheap $1 like movie theater that was really gross and it's not there anymore. I really wish that it, I wish, uh, I, I don't know. That's another tangent, but yeah. Um, anyway, they, I don't either. They didn't, they didn't care. Um, or, or I snuck into the movie. I don't know. I don't know how it happened, but I think I saw it at that theater. And then like, I remember that day, like the next Monday at school in health class, I was in like eighth grade or seventh grade and uh <laughs> I remember like the next day we're in health class. I'm sitting there just minding my own business. And then I suddenly realized like this was days later. I realized in my brain the connection. Like I finally got the punchline to the joke where um, Thomas Ian Nicholas is going down on Tara Reed and her father goes up to the door and she starts like to, to have her come down for dinner and she starts yelling, I'm coming, I'm coming. Right. Like, it took me several days after seeing it and to be in the middle of health class until I realized like, oh, she didn't hear him coming up. She was saying something else. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was such a dumb moment on my part, but it was, it was really funny. I did couldn't you burst into laughter in health I class. I did. I did. Like you look like an insane person. I did. <laughs> and, I, and I think I told like someone, I can't remember who I told, but I was like, like they were like, what are you laughing? At? I was like, well, there's a scene where this guy was the oh. tongue tornado. And um, <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. I was very, I was a very awkward kid. Oh boy. But were um, awkward. Uh, that's a good point. So anyway, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, and I love the sequel too. Um, American Wedding and American Reunion, I don't care as much about. Mm -hmm. But American Pie 2 was really good, and I liked it, and I like American Pie, and we can move on to the next one. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2004, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and this movie has the added subgenre of like stoner movie, mm -hmm. obviously. I mean, it's obviously, I, th I think that's actually like the primary. Uh, yeah, sub subgenre you can squeeze it into, but it works on both levels. Raunchy mm -hmm. comedy because smoking weed is raunchy, um, right? So I mean, this movie I think was very culturally uh, prevalent, and like this is one of those movies that got quoted a lot by mm -hmm. people. Um, I kind of missed the curve on this one a little bit. I don't really? know why. I don't think I saw it till like 2005. Oh, 2006. that sucks. That's that's going to be a trend throughout mm -hmm. this this. Uh, this uh back half of our list i don't know why i just i just mm -hmm. didn't seek these movies out um but harold and kumar go to white castle is it was like an instant classic pretty much mm -hmm. um and i i think it was very clever and that they casted two unknown people and mm -hmm. john cho and cal penn that's his name right yeah okay <laughs> he hasn't done a lot lately um so that was clever, and then the casting of Neil Patrick Harris as a caricature of himself yeah. was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And the story behind it's also very funny. Google it. They just happened to they just picked a random celebrity, put him into the script, and I guess he just kind of heard about it and was like, "I'll do it." Nice. Was, as far as I I may be remembering it details of it incorrectly, but I think that's kind of the gist of it. Mm -hmm. That's just a hilarious story. I love that. Um, but John Cho and Cal Penn just had such fantastic chemistry. Mm -hmm. It felt like they they've been friends for ten years, you know, before they even shot the movie. Um, it's funny that they're kind of playing 
each actor is playing kind of the opposite of their real life personalities. Um, right. Like Cal Penn in real life is actually a relatively serious guy and mm-hmm. like he like worked in the White House for a while and stuff right. like that. But John Cho is actually the big jokester, goofy guy who mm-hmm. makes dick and fart jokes, but he's <laughs> playing the straighter square guy, you know. And and I think that's always fun. I think that's I think that's a good way to get actors to work with each other and bounce ideas off each other and Definitely. I just I think that's a fun coincidence and it just worked incredibly well in the movie. Um it's also it's also the movie's so dumb that it's funny. It's like it's <laughs> yeah. two high guys trying to go to White Castle. Yeah, like why that shouldn't that should not be a movie. Mm-hmm. It's another one. It's all, it's not fantasy, but it's one of those things where like this doesn't happen really. <laughs> right. Like people who are high that want to go get White Castle, they get in their car and they go to White Castle mm-hmm. at two o'clock in the morning and then they fall asleep when they get home. <laughs> um, that's 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 the real life Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, <laughs> um, and it's just that's what makes it so funny is that all the things they get into are so ridiculous mm-hmm. that you have to laugh. Right, right. Yeah. This movie, um, I remember I saw it in in the theater, and like, <laughs> okay, this may turn into a trend with me. Um, <laughs> so, one of the funniest things I've seen, like one of the hardest times I've ever laughed in the movie theater, is at the line where Cal Penn or Harold and Kumar are at the hospital, and uh, uh, Kumar's father is hassling him about his med med school stuff and everything and then I so you're going it's so it's such a brill it's such a it's such a beautifully constructed punchline because cal Penn's like dad come on and then <laughs> and then the dad just says daddy's not coming on anything i'm not going and to come like, on anything it's so it's so funny that is classic and it is so juvenile and it is so it's just such a wonderful joke i love it so much yes it is like i was like i distinctly remember driving home from the theater with like i think like my sister and a couple of our friends went and um like, I distinctly remember, I think that that's who, I don't know, I was in the car with some other people, and like, I distinctly remember like, laughing until my face was beat red, <laughs> tears were streaming down my face, Yes. just because that joke alone was like the funniest thing I heard, <laughs> and it's so ridiculous, but that, and like, this movie has so much just goofy stuff in it, it's like, it's kind of a stoner comedy that almost gets into the kind of weird fantasy out there stuff that um that like dude where's my card went to mm-hmm. which is a movie i should probably revisit revisit um they do hang glide and ride a cheetah that's true that's true <laughs> but um but it's still it's still pretty accessible um in that respect uh and it it doesn't go too it doesn't stray too far off the beaten path with that right um so yeah, I I really love the movie. Uh the sequel I thought was solid. Um Agreed. And then the Christmas movie I barely remember. I still haven't watched it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 okay. There's there are a couple funny bits like um there's there's a funny moment where uh something there there's a funny like nod to uh Cal Penn in it cuz they're like something like they say something about working at the white house or whatever. And then, and then Kumar's like, yeah, do, can you, can, do you think anyone would believe me working at the white house or something? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny tongue in cheek thing, but for the yeah. most part, it wasn't that, um, that memorable. Although the <laughs> inclusion of Neil Patrick Harris in it, um, they include him and his husband in it. And it's like, they incorporate him coming out into the movie and it's like, he's, he's 
you know, he's talking about how he's, you know, he just secretly came, he came out so that he can get more tail or something. Gotcha. I don't know. It was really funny, but, uh, or it was vague. It was relatively funny. Gotcha. So yeah. So, um, do you, are you ready for the next one? Absolutely. All right. So the next one is, uh, Euro trip. And it's funny. This is from 2004. And it's funny because, you know, Eurotrip is kind of an underrated comedy movie from my perspective. It's kind of the, tr- the title alone kind of seems like a, um, uh, like, like a kind of second rate road trip type of movie. Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's pretty funny. There, there's stuff about it. I haven't seen it in a while, but there's stuff about it that I really enjoy. They play with a lot of, can, like, it's it's a very conventional raunchy comedy in that they have the kind of out there crazy guy they have the kind of straight laced anxiety ridden guy they have the um kind of nerdy or or kind of uh i don't know if i'd say nerdy but bookish. like bookish yeah bookish reserved guy um they've got like the heartthrob the kind of girl next door girl and they they have a lot of stuff but it plays with some really funny stuff with those within those conventions like the, <laughs> the outcome of two characters who happen to be related and happen to accidentally make out um the outcome of that and it's in the trailer like the crazy guy just like really really hitting it home that they that they made out is just so so funny to me and it's it's a great like throw it on in the background kind of comedy um yeah that doesn't really demand too much from you as an audience member true i again kind of missed the boat on this one i didn't see it till college like mm-hmm. late college um yeah i thought it was i thought it was okay i i think it's i think it's a little overrated actually oh really uh, yeah i think the whole scotty doesn't know thing is pretty funny Sure. Yeah. Again, the story behind it is funny as well. Like, well, how the <laughs> hell is Matt Damon in this movie? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought it was the over-the-top stuff. I didn't think was 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 crazy enough to be that funny. I don't know, like the whole Vatican thing. Oh yeah, it's like just so dumb. Like, that kind of overstated its welcome just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I, I do I, I did appreciate the characters in it. Um, and I think I think the main kid. Uh, who never really did much else, I don't think. Yeah, what was his name? Um, I, I wasn't crazy about him. He was okay. Um, but I like Michelle Trachtenberg and the, mm-hmm. the, the crazy guy. I don't remember. Yeah, I remember he was in, uh, Jacob Pitts was the crazy guy. He was in, uh, at least the first several episodes of Justified. I didn't get much farther than yeah, that. Yeah, and he was in the Pacific as well. Um, oh, yeah. He's, he's done some huh. good stuff. I, I like him. I, hmm. I, I could see him going places hmm. when, uh, when I saw Eurotrip, I, th- I think I thought he had a lot of potential. So, but yeah, I, j- I thought it was an okay movie. Okay, the yeah. guy that played the lead has been uh, quite a few things since then, but nothing like mainstream or anything. Gotcha. Um, he's been in. He was in a movie called Waiting for Forever that you may have seen the cover art on on Netflix when you're scrolling through. <laughs> um, his name is Scott Mechlowitz. Okay, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's see. What is the next one? Uh, uh, do you want me to bring it up, or is it your turn? I can bring it up. Okay, cool. Uh, 2006's Grandma's Boy. Um, 
this movie is a d- definitively cult classic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, it had a very poor theatrical run, um, didn't do very well, but then it really took off with DVD sales and and just it developed a cult. I wonder if it even following. did it even have a theatrical release. I think it did, but it was it was like really bad. Mm-hmm. It only had like maybe two or three weeks. Jeez, um, maybe I I really I don't remember in theaters. So me neither. Well, we'll see. Uh, we can look it up, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, this movie—it's—it's it's funny, despite the people involved. Uh, we've ripped on uh, Adam Sandler and company quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, reference our Summer of Sandler episodes, or don't. <laughs> um, and so we, we have a lot of bad things to say about that whole group and and what they do. But I think this movie stands out. Um, I feel like uh, the movie was written and stars, written by and stars. Uh, Alan Covert, Adam Covert, Alan, Alan Covert, yeah, yeah. Um, who's one of he's in every Adam Sandler movie, um, and he just got to make his own movie this time, mm-hmm. and and I think because of that, he really just went for it and really going for it made a pretty unique movie. Um, the movie's about like video game testers, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a popular thing. Video games are more popular than they've ever been, um, and so I think that aspect really helped the movie out. Um, and at the time, I was really into video games, and so I liked it for mm-hmm. that reason. Um, but the the movie's also very endearing. You know, you got a guy who's kind of an underachiever, and uh, the guy's really and he's like an underachiever, and he's at the same time he's he's very talented, and um, it has this whole age gap thing where he's like in his mid thirties, and everyone he works with is like twenty two. Gray beard. Gray beard. Yeah. Or, or gray, gray pube. Gray or bush. Gray bush. There you they go. Call him gray bush. Yeah. Not gray beard. Um, yeah. Linda Cardellini was really charming and adorable mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, there's just a lot of fun things. Nick Swartzen was, was scene stealer. He was absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think he's gotten very weird, and I'm not crazy about a lot of the stuff he's done since. Yeah. But uh, I thought he he was perfect in this movie. I really loved him. Uh, and and the the senior citizen cast, the the mm-hmm. older ladies who were cast in the movie, oh yeah, were fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't recall their names off the top. Of Doris my head. Roberts was the titular grandmother. Right. Wasn't yeah, she? that was grandma. Yeah, and um, she was great. She was fantastic. Um, and the mom from uh, um, what's it called? Partridge Family. Oh, sure. Yeah, she <laughs> was one of the other old ladies, one of her roommates. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everybody was just really charming in this movie, and it was it was really fun. Yeah, I I agree. This is a weird movie because I, for some okay, so its release date was January sixth, twenty uh, two thousand six. Between like like two thousand seven or two thousand eight and like two thousand ten or eleven, I just randomly, completely coincidentally, happened to watch this movie on like the week of January sixth. Each year, just really? completely by happenstance. That's goofy. It was weird. But, um, yeah, for as much as we've ripped on Happy Madison Productions, um, was it Shirley Jones that you were thinking of, by the way? Yes. Sure. She's the one who's slept with everyone. Yeah, I think so. The real promiscuous one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, there's a lot to like in this movie. And um, I, I don't think I'll ever like Peter Dante. I just I don't think I ever will. Yeah. He's such a weird... Ugh, I just I just don't like him. But for every Peter Dante, there's a Joel David Moore. Yeah, in it, and there's something kind of, I guess I don't know if I'd go so far as to say charming, but there's something likable about Alan Covert's 
persona in the movie, which is a weird thing to admit because I don't find him very appealing in general. Yeah. At all. And for the record, this movie was, I just had it up and I don't have it anymore, but, uh, this movie was in, uh, I think 3000 screens. Um, wow. opening weekend made $3 million. Oh boy. Total, uh, uh, total gross at the end was, uh, six, six million. Oh boy. So it was, it was pretty rough, but, um, but I think DVD sales were really good for it, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This definitely had a life after. Like it, it found a it kept found a cult following, as, as we said. Yeah. Um. And it's and it's a good movie. I mean, it's 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 fun to watch. Um, and it's it's got its share of raunch. Um, yes. Oh, the, <laughs> to follow the pattern, the uh, the scene where um, Alan Covert at the beginning is staying over at. Um, uh, Nick Swartzen's house, and uh, he is in the bathroom, and he is masturbating to yeah. a doll, and then accidentally uh releases on Nick Swartzen's mother. Yes, it's just that is a really funny scene. It, that's hysterical. Yeah, and I don't know why this keeps happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Oh boy. But anyway, uh, yeah, I really like Grandma's Boy. I own it proudly. Um. And also, if I'm not mistaken, I think that they, I think that they were supposed to make the the game that was going to be in the movie. Oh, like yeah. it was like going to be like made into an actual video game for like Xbox, but I don't know if it ever happened. Yeah, I don't. I but, can't yeah. remember. So, okay, so uh, I'll go ahead and bring us into our next one. In 2007, this movie it came out, <laughs> uh, super bad, and this movie freaking. Like it might be one of my favorite comedies of of just all time. Oh yeah, um, in general, it's so so good, yes. so ridiculously good, and um, the cast is amazing. It 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 used Michael Sarah shortly after Arrested Development was canceled, and it used him in a way that it used his kind of his kind of uh, shtick and and put it into a raunchy teen comedy and it, he fit really well there and opposite uh jonah hill was just a really good and satisfying um pairing there because in <laughs> like the character of seth in the movie is so he's like cartman he's like a live action cartman he's mm-hmm. very vulgar and everything it's 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 just really fun to watch that dynamic play out and the I'm I'm an unabashed fan of the one night movie, like one night yeah. party movie, one night like movie, and uh, this is a really great representation of that. Uh, Tiny, how does Superbad uh, um, uh, hold up for you? I agree. It's uh, pretty much the same as you. It's a top ten, maybe even top five comedy of all time. Nice. Um, my fiance and I just stumbled across this on like Stars, mm-hmm. uh, like two weeks ago, maybe three. And we, we just, we just watched the whole thing because it's nice. I, and I just, I forgot how absolutely hilarious it is. There was a time when this came out in 2007 and 2008 where I probably, I probably watched the movie eight, eight to 12 times in that span, <laughs> you know, in a year, nice. year and a half. I mean, it was just part of my life basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of put it on the shelf and I haven't really watched it that much since then, but it's one of those movies that will forever be quoted by our generation. Like it's, People are always gonna know what McLovin is, mm-hmm. and you know all the various quotes from this movie. Um, 
it holds up incredibly well, which really blows me away because I saw this movie, you know, in 2007, we were 20, mm-hmm. 20 years old. Um, and 10 years later, I still laugh just as hard as I did when I was 20. And, and laugh you will. This movie is just, it, it's, it, it's, I think it's like 90 minutes. You laugh 90 times in this movie. It's just crazy how, uh, Mike created up the term, uh, I think he did anyways. He created the term joke density. I don't know if he necessarily created it, but. No, yeah. he created it. Did, well, yeah. it's, I have a. Mike I, is our podcast, the host of on sabbatical. I'm in the process of patenting it, uh, copywriting it. No, but Mike made that a popular phrase in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a ridiculously dense movie as far as jokes go. Uh, impressively dense. I. It's just a fantastic movie. I love it. I agree completely. And what what I love about it, and I think I may have mentioned this on the One Night Party Movies episode, but what I love about it is how uh, kind of diverse it is. It's it's a teen comedy, but like it, there are uh, there are certain aspects to it that are that are there's like a few tiers to there are a few levels to it. So we've got the teen party aspect of it that uh, these teens are having a house party. And the main characters are trying to get back to it. Um, in doing that, they stumble into what is essentially a mid twenties, um, house party. And that's, that's a completely different environment and it's very different energy and, and they're experiencing that. And then they are also dealing with, um, like there's a scene in a bar where like, you know, kind of older people, in maybe their thirties or what what have you are there. And they're kind of seeing like they're seeing a, a, um, a timeline or a chronology of, of debauchery and, and of, of party atmospheres and, and drinking and everything in this one night. And I, I just, I just think that that level of not necessarily detail, but that, but that aspect to it where they, they have very different, vastly different environments and playgrounds in which to have the characters interact with other situations and things brings, makes it such a fresh and consistently funny and, um, surprising movie. And I really appreciate it for that aspect of it. And I don't know if that was intentional on, on their part when, when Seth, uh, Seth, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wrote it, but I'm sure that it was, but it's just, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's really, quite good um it is i I love it and uh yeah yeah and again one of my funniest things one of the funniest things about this movie for me was mclovin um you know the i will say the the sex scenes at the end the um uh really it's it's michael Sarah. (laughs) <laughs> his awkwardness when when he's with with the girl and then McLovin's proclamation that proclamation that proclamation that uh he's he's in <laughs> yeah. it's in it's yeah it's just it's so funny to me yeah um it's awesome yeah this this movie holds up incredibly well and i i really love it and it's definitely definitely a, um one of the top tier comedies uh for my liking agreed Yep. Um, so let's see. Uh, Tiny, do you want to bring us into the next one? Yeah, also from 2007. Uh, Knocked Up. Also Seth Rogen uh, vehicle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of when um, uh, 
Judd Apatow and the whole Apatow community was kind of at its peak, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that they're irrelevant now, but I think, again, the public opinion regarding that Cole group has waned just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, or they're just not quite as popular on top of the mountain like they used to be. Yeah. There, uh, if I could interject real quick, um, there's a lot less fanfare for a Judd Apatow movie these days. Like, mm-hmm. This is 40 and Trainwreck didn't really have the, um, the fervor for it that that uh that like 40 year old virgin and knocked up seem to have yeah um that's not to say that people didn't go see them but like people people were attracted to train wreck and attached to train wreck and fans of train wreck i think more because it was an amy schumer vehicle than agreed then because it was a judd apatow joint agreed so anyway uh continue <laughs> yeah super bad was kind of part of a brand at the time almost mm-hmm. if you will um and and it was hugely popular. This movie made tons of money. Everybody saw it, uh, quoted up and down. Um, it had two huge stars at the time in Seth Rogen and for whatever reason, Catherine Heigl, right. um, who has since fallen from grace pretty hard. She has. Um, yeah. Yeah. So knocked up was just a really popular movie. And I think it was, it's interesting cause super bad and knocked up came out in the same year. Um, and they're both goofy comedies, raunchy comedies. Um, and Superbad, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's about, you know, teenagers in that coming of age moment where they're going off into adulthood and, you know, the precipice of that life changing event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Superbad is also about the precipice of a life changing event, but it's about becoming a father and mm-hmm. like really becoming an adult and like, you know, embracing responsibility and stuff like that. And it's funny that I think the same generation of people being us and people, you know, a little bit, a little bit older than us, a little bit younger than us latched onto both of these movies and really loved both of these movies. It's kind of, it's kind of a funny, funny thing or like a goofy, goofy coincidence, if you will, that both these movies came out when they did. Right. Um, and were both as popular as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but knocked up is, it's it's that it's a goofy raunchy comedy but we've we've talked about how a lot of these movies have the have such an endearing quality to them yeah and this this movie really uh really harkens to that um i love how i love the change that seth rogan's character goes through wow he's such a dumbass and just like a stoner (laughs) and he's unemployed and just he's he's basically a loser and (laughs) how this life-changing event really brings him out of a shell and kind of inspires him to be a to be a man i think that's a very endearing story and i like i really like that part of the movie um i think a lot of people love this movie and it's popular because it's funny and there's tons of jokes um the cast is ridiculously good mm-hmm. um so I, I think there's multiple things to latch onto with this movie it's 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 got layers and it's not it's not a one one note movie about a dude trying to get laid it's it's just so much more than that and i really respect the movie for that me too and i i really liked it for what it is essentially a lot of what you said and it's about this guy kind of realizing what he needs to do to become a a, a more put together man and kind of because at the beginning he's just kind of a man child, and I, I love that they have the whole running gag of them essentially creating, trying to create a website that caters to people looking for nudity in movies, and then they yeah. actually call out the fact that Mr. Skin exists, and right. they just look because that is such a, um, such a, 
it's so truthful to that character type that they would put that much effort and that much energy into something without researching whether it exists in a better form. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's really great. And I say that after having us do 184 episodes of a podcast that in a saturated genre of podcasts, yeah. uh, movies and TV shows. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I just, I love that aspect of it. I like the inclusion of, um, you get the, you get Paul Rudd and, and, um, Judd Apatow's wife. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but, um, their, their arc in the movie and how, how Seth Rogen's character kind of influences Paul Rudd or, or kind of brings Paul Rudd out of his shell a little bit, um, in the movie. And it's kind of a shame that this is 40 didn't really live up to my expectations personally, but I kind of like that inclusion in the in the closed circle that is knocked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're kind of opposites. Paul Rudd yeah. and Seth Rogen, they're, they're opposite, uh, you know, developmentally. Right. I and, don't know if that's the right word. But. Sure. And Paul Rudd is kind of a stuffy, stuffy guy who, who Seth Rogen, from my memory at least, kind of brings him out of his shell and, and yeah. lets him cut loose. And I, I kind of like that aspect of it because there's such a, I don't know, there's such a trope. Well, there's such a trope in movies, in TV, that I don't, like, I have no frame of reference for or whatever, but there's the, you know, stuffy married guy who's kind of socially neutered from everything, and it's just kind of like, um, I don't know, it's just kind of a kind of a weird archetype that it's kind of like the, um, like, you see in a lot of sitcoms that you would never really think or a lot of sitcoms that I never watched because they kind of seemed so rote and, and, um, whatever. It's just kind of like, like supplicant husband kind of thing. Right. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I like that they play with that in a way that, that shows that, you know, it's not about, it's not the, the butt of the joke isn't him being, um, just this kind of, kind of, uh, downtrodden husband character who doesn't have his own personality which i think that's part of the reason why i didn't like this is 40 because it was more conventional in that respect because our our entry point to it is is seth rogan influencing paul rudd and, and you know getting him out of a shell so that's a long tangent for a small subplot of the movie <laughs> but the actual bigger plot of of seth rogan becoming more of a uh, uh an adult throughout the movie it's uh it's satisfying because it's not an easy road there is still like he's not a very likable character throughout the movie. Like there's the scene where like like at several points in in the movie he is not taking the responsibility of what is going on or the severity of what's going on to heart until late in the movie. Like there's a scene where they're driving to the doctor and he basically like he verbally accosts her and and like they get into this huge argument and then they just, and it's not like a thing that's easily reconciled in the movie. Um, like he, he's still, he, it's so authentic that he doesn't know how to react or behave in this situation because that's not what the character, that's not how the character, that's not something the character would know to do or know how to handle. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it feels really authentic in that respect. And I, I really like it. I agree. Yeah. And also, we're talking about raunchy comedy, so um, the sex scene is cool. <laughs> yeah. I think the whole scene or the time where the whole group goes out to, like, 
get laid. Like they go out to the club, you know, like, and that's, that's where he ends up meeting Catherine Heigl and stuff like that. Right. That whole thing is so just so great. So much brilliance. They're just randomly talking about the movie, uh, Munich. Munich. <laughs> Oh my talking, god! Like talking about how they'll like. Uh, there's a line. I think Seth Rogen says like, "If any of us get late tonight, it's, it's because, because of Eric Bana in Munich." <laughs> I'm like, that is so uh, so great. I love that line. Me it's so too. Great. And it's like, and it's like, and it's like, it's not like Munich isn't like this. This um, that's that as a reference point isn't that isn't that like culturally relevant? Right. Like, right. I mean, Munich is a great movie. Oh, I love Munich. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. But it's like it's not really in the cultural consciousness, and just for them to do that, and then also the also all the gags at Martin Starr for the beard, like, yeah, uh, like I think Jonah Hill calling him um, Scorsese on coke, yeah, so funny, the Unabomber, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that overstated oh, so welcome a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit, sure, sure. To use your phrase, which I think is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. I think it overstated welcome a little bit, but uh, still pretty damn funny. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Nice. Yep. How okay. do you think it? Sorry. Uh, how do you think it stacks up uh, against uh, Forty Year Old Virgin? Uh, I'm gonna say Forty Year Old Virgin superior. Same here. I think it 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 had to prove itself, which mm-hmm. made it a little more endearing and a little more uh, original. I guess I'm not I'm not sure how to put it. But Forty Year Old uh, Virgin or Knocked Up. A forty year old virgin. Okay. And I feel like Knocked Up was capitalizing on the popularity of the Apatow brand at the time. I'll agree with that, yeah. Not to say that I don't think it's a cash grab movie or like, sure. well, let's just make this movie because we're really popular right now. But I think it part of its success can be uh can be granted to the popularity of the Apatow brand at the time. Yeah, definitely. So. And uh if you have the DVD, I highly recommend checking out the special features on it. There's this great like Judd Apatow, at least he used to do this. I don't know if he doesn't uh, anymore, but on his DVDs, he would have like these special features that are like specifically filmed for the, for the DVDs. Like it's like this fake, like this fake, like behind the scenes thing that's like, you know, Seth Rogen wasn't our first choice for the, for the lead actor. So we actually auditioned a lot of different characters or a lot of different actors. And like, they just, they filmed these like sketches and stuff that are are, like these other actors in the role. And it's so, it's so funny. It's so, it's so funny. Cause like there's one where Justin Long is like, they preface it by saying like Justin Long was really capitalizing on his indie, indie drama uh, cred. It's like these are just depictions of scenes that uh, are them sabotaging it. And it's it's hard to explain, but it's it's really funny the way that they put these together. Um, I remember, um, what is it? Um, James Franco's bit was really funny. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll have to. You know, I might cut it and put it into this episode if I can find it on YouTube. But it's really it's really funny. All right. Why don't I come here and stand around so Kirsten can do her monologue and I can just stand here and look great? She's on Saturday Night Live. I mean. I- I, I wait around for the f***ing geeks to do their f***ing shit the whole time, and I come on and you're like, you don't let me do shit. James, why don't you come do my new movie? I'm a big f***ing director, and I'll let you do what you want. Oh, Kirsten's here. I gotta f***ing uh, come on and drag her off? What the f*** is this? I don't understand. So you're still mad about freaks and geeks? Yes! Let me ask you a question. So you've done three Spider-Man movies, and you're mad about our f***ing show that got canceled after 12 episodes? Like, that's still in your f***ing head? Yes! You can't get over I that? I good on that Half of those f***ing kids aren't working, they're on drugs, you're the only f***ing one working. Why do you f***ing think? Because I got the f***ing 
and you never let me show it. You never let me show it. Well, you got a job after the show. Did you get a job? They didn't get a fucking job. It took me six years to get some of these guys jobs. You don't know what the fucking leading man does, all right? He comes in and fucking knocks it out. Sam Raimi told me not to hire you. Fucking Sam loves me. Loves my Dog speech, it'd be all over fucking Spider-Man. Who's Sam Raimi? Yeah, who's Sam Raimi? Good luck with your fucking monologue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I recommend checking out the bonus features on the DVD. So, uh, Tiny, what ne- uh, what what next? Up next, 2008's uh, Sex Drive. This will probably be our last one. Mm-hmm. Um, this genre is deep. There's a lot. It's a deep well you can draw from. We could definitely do a second episode about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's tons of more movies we can mention, but I think 2008's Sex Drive is a really good example of the whole. I mean, it's called Sex Drive, <laughs> right? And and it's clearly in pursuit of the whole sexual coming of age and need to lose my virginity kind of dynamic thing that's very mm-hmm. popular in this genre. Um, and, you know, in 2008, that that equation or that concept is pretty played out. And you've seen it tons of times from movies and TV shows. Um, but for just for whatever reason, I'm honestly not sure what the reason is, I really like this movie. And I think... Part of it is like the road trip aspect, so you've got that mm-hmm. that dynamic playing into it as well. Um, you've got, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got the whole. I think really what makes this a unique movie is the whole Amish thing. Yeah, Seth Green <laughs> yeah. and his deadpan like dry humor is like top notch. Mm-hmm. He's so funny in this movie, um, and and just that. The starkness of the Amish lifestyle meshed with this, the concept of this kid making a road trip to go get laid mm-hmm. is just such a funny contrast. And just that paradigm is like perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what made this movie work so well. And I think the filmmakers, there, there's a version of the movie. If you get the DVD, yeah. there's a version of the movie you can watch where they just have like, naked people spliced mm-hmm. in that have nothing to do with the movie whatsoever and it's just it's just an attempt to be overly raunchy mm. and it's like it's like above tongue in cheek it's it's yeah it's blatant hitting you over the head with it and it for whatever reason it works it's it's actually pretty funny um and so the, obviously the filmmakers <laughs> were making this and, and writing this this movie from a perspective of we're going to be ridiculously over the top yeah and, and it and it just it just worked Totally. Uh, <laughs> where do you, where do you live? You want you want a party? <laughs> yes. Those two guys oh. were so so freaking funny to me. Yes. Um, and the whole movie, I really I really love it. I I really do. And it's one of those movies that kind of seemed like this under the radar kind of raunchy comedy that didn't really get that much notice. Like similar to like Euro Trip, it it kind of feels like this kind of uh pseudo american pie-esque movie that didn't really get the audience that it wanted or didn't get near the audience that american pie uh received i don't even know if it had a big uh theater presence or if it even hit theaters for very long or at all Mm -hmm. but um i just i i love the movie a lot for a lot of the same reasons you did tiny um i mean it's got the road trip aspect as well and it has this endearing like girl next door kind of like like motif through like the the main character um not realizing that the girl like his his friend is uh uh like the girl of his dreams and all that and he's chasing this um 
girl across the country just to get laid when when the real girl is right in front of her in front of him. Right. But it's just it's it's an endearing depiction because they have good chemistry and it's it's a good back and forth and everything um throughout the movie. I I don't really know what else to say about it and I think that the DVD, the unrated DVD, I never I never watched that version of it because I feel like it's kind of a little distracting. Yeah. Um just a little bit, but I feel like it kind of is a nice send up of the unrated director's cut edition releases because it's it's just purposely adding so it's like weird because it's it kind of satirizes or subverts that kind of home theater or home video kind of market because it's it's not just like oh random boobs popping in but it's like alternate takes like yeah it's it's so weird some of it just some of it doesn't really fit that well, or is, yeah, is some kind of it awkward. doesn't. But some of it's classic, like the one where Clark Clark Duke is caught in the act of having sex with a woman, mm-hmm. and he's hand at the time he's handcuffed to a headboard of mm-hmm. a bed, and he ends up detaching the headboard from the bed That's because right. he can't get the handcuffs off, and he's just running naked through a cornfield with the with the headboard, mm-hmm. and it's like an old steel headboard. Right. And uh, there's a part in the unrated version where they just splice in a guy and it's because it's clark duke and he's you know a pasty white dude and uh-huh. this place in where it's this it's a it's a black man with a very large penis carrying the <laughs> carrying the headboard and i it's, didn't even remember they that. just splice it in and i laughed so hard at that <laughs> i thought it was really funny nice so th- there's some of that stuff but i, I agree there is some mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't really work yeah um, um i loved amanda crew in this oh she was so charming she, so charming and charismatic so and great adorable as hell mm-hmm. yeah she was great yeah and she's kind of like she represents this kind of idealistic like view of a woman for this this particular uh this the movie that these that these uh the the audience that these types of movies are kind of catering toward like the yeah. kind of you know younger guy model because she's like this super cool laid-back girl that you want to be you know friends with but also you know stuff right but, um, oh we know yeah um anyway uh no it, it's just really great uh, I, I i love it and i love the movie yep i don't really have much else to say about it really yeah that's a good one yeah i think that's our list i think it is and uh i want to throw out just a really quick one uh, we mentioned we didn't have any 90s movies. Yeah. Per se. And I completely forgot about a movie called Trojan War. Did mm. you ever see that movie? Did not. It is from, uh, 1997. It has the acclaim of being one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the biggest box office disasters ever. Wow. Um, I believe, I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but I the, think you have. Yeah. But the movie made, uh, the movie cost $15 million to make. Okay. Do you want to take a guess how much it made in its theatrical run? 800 grand. 800 grand? $309. What? Yeah. Oh my God. $309. That's appalling. Absolutely just terrible, terrible, um, returns. But, um, and it's oh, wow, holy crap! It's all it's PG thirteen. Oh wow! I had no idea. Anyway, it's from nineteen ninety seven. It stars, um, uh, Will Will Friedel, 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 from Boy Meets World, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And it's just uh, I'll just go ahead and read the pro- plot description for brevity's sake. Brad is about to hook up with the girl of his dreams, but runs into one problem: no condom. 
<laughs> so Brad sets out into the night to find one, running into many obstacles along the way while not knowing his best friend Leah is in love with him. I remember you talking about this. I was such a fan of this movie. This was one of those movies that Tiny, if you remember, um, I think either Marsh or Kroger had like a video rental section uh-huh, yeah. back in the day. Yep. Yeah, like I found it and like I think I had my mom rent it for me. Um <laughs> and like I watched it and it's it's it was really good. It's wow. like it's I don't know, it's uh, I don't know how well it holds up, but it's just it it's got everything it's got everything that I love about a good comedy. It's got Jennifer Love Hewitt in the nineteen nineties. Yes. Um it's got um it's a one night movie um that I'm that I'm very attached to. Um it's got its share of raunch and it's sex comedy and a bunch of stuff. It's 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 just it's a really well packaged movie and I really like it. Um and unfortunately I don't know if it's available to stream anywhere or anything but mm-hmm. it's called Trojan War. I kind of want to throw that on at the uh throw that out into the uh end of this uh, segment. And I also want to Tiny, do you have any movies that off the top of your head, that's our raunchy comedies that just did not work for you at all? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I know there's tons out there. Um, and we didn't do a poll this week like we usually do on face on the Facebook group page. Right. I did not have time um, to post that. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, our, our listeners write us now, you know, send us a tweet now Definitely. or an email, Facebook message, whatever. Let us know. Hashtag Pearl Clutchers. Yes. Let us know if there's stuff that you love that we left off the list because I'm sure there is. Absolutely. And guys... Trojan War available to rent on Google Play for two ninety nine. Hey, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's really good. I might. Um, please do. Cool. Um, and then also, last thing, I do have two two um movies that did not work for me. Um, I didn't add those in. Okay. Um, the raunchy comedies that did not work for me. I've talked about this before this year on the podcast, even. But Dirty Grandpa was terrible, mm. just really terrible. And then also, uh, the to do list. I think I mentioned it a couple years ago on the podcast. Uh, Aubrey Plaza vehicle where she, um, wants to kind of uh experience every sexual act she can think of before she goes to college. Yeah, wasn't that good. Uh, I just I just didn't like it. So I liked it a little bit. Yeah. It was yeah. okay. It was okay. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, so that does it for this week's topic. Um, once again, like Tiny said, please email us or tweet us or uh, post on Facebook your favorite uh, raunchy comedies and why. And uh, let's see. So we're going to go ahead and move on to potpourri. But before we do that, Tiny is going to go to the bathroom, and I'm going to uh, play a promo for Shocktober in Irvington, which, again, is October 14th at the Irving Theater here in Indianapolis. And uh, check it out and buy tickets online now at shocktoberandirvington.com. Tickets are on sale now for the third annual Shocktober in Irvington presented by the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Join the hosts of the Obsessive Viewer on October 14th, 2016 at the Irving Theater for a one-night event screening of short horror films, including the premiere screenings of J.P. Lex The Roman, the latest entry in his cross-medium Elsewhere World universe, as well as the latest slasher from Snapshot Productions and Billy and Brandon Watch Movies. All of this, and so much more. Come celebrate the horror genre in the historic Irvington area, and get a chance to meet the filmmakers with live interviews after each screening. You can also win DVDs, Blu-rays, and gift cards to Irvington businesses. 
Tickets are on sale now at shocktoberinirvington.com. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. And we will see you at the Irving Theater on October 14th. That is, if you dare. Okay, so I think we're going to do a quick potpourri section this time. Um, So for those first-time listeners, potpourri is a section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want, anything that we've watched, anything that we're looking forward to, anything we want, as long as it smells good. Um, Kind of wind down the podcast with it. Tiny, do you mind if I go first? Go for it. All right, so um, I haven't had time to watch much of anything lately, except for things that I watch for my podcast, uh, for my for these podcasts, I should say. Um, that's not, anyway, um, recently I've been watching a lot of stuff for my solo pro, po, uh, solo project podcast anthology, which is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with the Twilight Zone. So usually I like to keep. Um, ov potpourri separate from the stuff i watch for anthology but this week i'm kind of up against a wall because <laughs> i don't have anything else uh to bring up but anyway i recently started rewatching black mirror which um uh, like two years ago or about a year and a half ago i applauded i lauded this show with praise on the podcast like week after week. And so for anthology, like what I usually do on anthology is I review an episode, of the twilight zone along with a related movie or show, um, sci-fi movie or show related to the week's episode. Um, but what I'm doing now is I'm kind of doubling up and doing double duty and I'm releasing bonus episodes of anthology, um, basically reviewing each episode of black mirror. So that has given me the opportunity to rewatch black mirror. And I've watched the first season, the first three episodes and, I mean, it's like, I'm just falling in love with this show all over again. It's, it's amazing because it's, it's a, it's a unique and interesting uh, situation because I, last year in 2015, when I first saw it, I, um, really latched on to a lot of the things and a lot of the concepts in it. And one of the best episodes of the entire series run is, uh, this episode 15 million merits. And I spoke very highly about it. And Tiny, I remember, I remember at one point you mentioned that you saw it. I think we had a conversation about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but I remember you not being that enthused by it. Is that, do you remember correctly? For whatever reason, yeah. Okay. It's funny because I remember that. And like at the time, it had been a few months since I'd watched it. And, uh, I remember one of your concerns was that it's, um, it didn't seem to have a, a lot of, uh, you, you wanted more information about the world, about the universe and everything. Mm-hmm. But when rewatching it for anthology, like, I, I mean, I honestly think it's one of the best, like, written things I've seen. Like, for the amount of, for the amount of runtime, they build up, like, everything about this universe so well for me, for my tastes. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And the way that the central romance or the central relationship between the two characters, um, is, is established and built up. Um, and then ultimately uh, things happen. It's just, it's so incredible because there are so many, it's, it's like every single thing in the, in the episode is, setting up to something different. It's, it's like, um, there's a woman who hits on the main character 
because she sees that he has a lot of merits, a lot, a lot of credits. They're, they live in this dystopian society. And so this woman sees that he has 15 million merits. So she is instinctively hitting on him um, because he can provide for her with, with a lot of just useless stuff. Um, but he's not into it. And like she shows him she shows him a trick to get food out of the vending machine, which is a trick that he in turn uses to uh, uh, to charm or, or break the ice with the uh, the female lead. And it's just like like that. And then there's this underlying thing that the government is suppressing their emotions and suppressing their feelings. And it's like there is so it's such a dense dense episode that's filled with so it's so rich with so much stuff and it's heartbreaking and it's it's incredible and it's just it's one of the best depictions of a dystopian society i've seen and it's a 48 minute episode of an anthology science fiction show and it's like that's that's the blip that we get of of that universe and there's so much in it that I was left so satisfied and I was just so blown away by it. Um, you can listen to my full thoughts on it in this, in bonus episode two of anthology, um, which is on anthologypod.com. But I just, I really love the show. I can't wait to see, uh, what season three has in store when it hits Netflix on October 21st. Um, I saw that they premiered the first couple episodes at, um, at TIFF, I think, at a Toronto International Film Festival, and they got some pretty good reviews. I didn't read them or anything because I'm staying in the dark, but I'm I'm just so excited for it. I'm I'm super pumped. Um, although I should say, those episodes release October 21st. Um, that's a Friday, and then the next week is Heartland Film Festival. And I also got a notice in the mail that uh, that that week I may be get called. I may I may get called for jury duty. Wow. Which sucks. Sucks so much. And it also sucks because it's not like I can take like jury duty time off of work because I already have PTO for Heartland. So oh, man. Ugh, it's it's a bummer. But anyway, uh, the point is, check out Black Mirror. It's on Netflix. It's such a great show. It's in- incredible. One of my favorite shows that are that's out now. And uh, and also check out Anthology at AnthologyPod.com. Tiny, what do you have for Potpourri? Uh, I am bringing up the miniseries from the Discovery Channel, Harley and the Davidsons. Uh, this aired over Labor Day. Um, it started Monday, uh, Labor Day, and then aired Tuesday and Wednesday as well um, in two-hour blocks. Um, obviously, with the title, it's about the beginning of the Harley Davidson brand and the beginning of motorcycles in general, really. Um the mo- the the show was really I really liked it a lot. I mean, nice. I I was predisposed to like it because I I enjoy motorcycles a lot. I really want to get one and ride one and own one. Um, I just don't have the funds right now, but I've always been fascinated with motorcycles. Um, and Harley Davidson, you can't mention motorcycles without mentioning Harley Davidson. That's they're just intrinsically linked in that in mm-hmm. that respect. Um, and it's it it's this this was a really great miniseries because I think a lot of people don't understand how how rocky the start was for Harley Davidson and mm. motorcycling in general. Um and and what's really great about the story is it starts with literally uh William Harley and um the other members of the Davidson family, Arthur Davidson and uh Walter Davidson. Um building the first bike in their shed all the way till they create 
the uh, the first knucklehead, which is the one of the iconic V twin engines that Harley Davidson is famous for. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, it was their most successful model that they designed in the 30s, um, and it just that's when Harley Davidson just took off and became an unstoppable brand. Um, so it really just follows the genesis of the brand into the iconic brand it's become. And, and I think that was cool to just, just start with the Genesis and just show us that because we all know what happened after that. We all know what Harley Davidson is today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a really good, a really good creative choice to just focus on the beginning. Um, the cast was really, really good. Mostly unknowns. The most famous person in the miniseries is Michel Huisman. I think I'm saying his name right. Okay. He's the Dutch actor who's probably most famous for, uh, playing, uh, Nario de Harris in, uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Which yeah. one? Wait, what? The, that, that role was recast. Is it the recent one? The more recent guy. Gotcha. Yes. Um, he, he also was in the movie Wild with Reese Witherspoon and, uh, The Age of Adeline, World War Z. Um, okay. Uh, he's also on the movie, uh, the show Treme on HBO. Oh, okay. Was in most of that. So he's, he's been around, uh, been around the block. Orphan Black, he was also in. So he's, he's done a lot. Um, he played one of the titular characters, uh, Walter, or, uh, yeah, Walter, um, Davidson. Um, kind of one of the older brothers. He's a very kind of a, almost a loose cannon kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fantastic in this. I think he's just a great actor. I really nice. like what he does. Uh, another Game of Thrones alum, um, Robert Aramayo. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correct. Um, he played the young, young, uh, Ned Stark in oh, the okay. kind of flashback in like sure. one episode. Um, that's probably what he's most famous for. He hasn't really done much else. Um, <laughs> but he, he was fantastic as uh he played Bill Harley or William Harley mm-hmm. and William Harley was he was the engineer who designed the engines and the frames and the gas tanks and the the forks and all the really awesome parts that have that have made Harley an icon and he nice. he's kind of the genius behind the engineering and it was really fascinating to watch his character uh, and then last one of the more more notable people uh that started in the series uh playing Arthur Davidson who was kind of like the marketing business genius who mm-hmm. really he really solidified the brand that is Harley Davidson that we know today mm-hmm. is the actor Bug Hall uh who is most famous for playing uh Alfalfa in the Little Rascals remake in the 90s really? yeah huh. He's wow. he's had a very he's had a busy career, but it's all like B movie stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's on he's on his fair share of television as well. But like he was in the movie Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and he's he's been in some other. Uh, he was in the Big Green, which I love that movie when oh, I was yeah. a kid. Um, so yeah, he's he had a fun um, child childhood acting career, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad he's made the transition because he was very good in this movie. Um, he played kind of the the. The standard or the, uh, the, the, um, token character who's like super, super ambitious. Okay. Will, like do anything to be successful. Um, but he's also just a really brilliant businessman. Um, nice. th- this was just a really cool movie. I, I think I, I love the, the kind of freedom that's associated and the, the, the kind of like, uh, devil may care attitude that's associated with motorcycling. It's, mm-hmm. it's so different from, cars because cars are bound by roads for the most part but like right. a motorcycle you can just bob and weave between the traffic and mm-hmm. it's just it has this whole other persona about it and the bill harley and the davidson family were absolutely you know 
backers of those notions and they that's what they loved about motorcycles and that really plays through in the first these uh these uh the, the beginning story of Harley Davidson if you will um i i just really appreciated what uh what they did with with the series i i think it was fun nice i honestly <laughs> Uh, I honestly kind of just assumed that it was a documentary. Oh, really? No. To be honest, yeah. No, nope, it is that's a really straight dramatization. Um, nice. I it's and I think that was a good choice too. Oh yeah. Um, I I, th- I think this unfortunately this miniseries was not on many people's radar. Yeah, I had, I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I mean, it's on the it's on the Discovery Channel, and they don't. They're obviously they're not known for their dramatizations. They're known for their documentary stuff. So right. Um. Yeah, that's what they're known for, and it's it's kind of out of out of turn for them to do something like this. But they've been making some pushes to do stuff like this, like they did um, that series with uh, the guy who played Rob Stark about. Uh, oh yeah, um, um, about the gold rush in Alaska. Yeah, um, I can't remember the name of it. I don't remember what it was. I, I never saw it, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. I heard it was good. Um, yeah, and I think it's really cool that Discovery is, you know, they're known for their history and their documentary stuff, and they're taking real things and turning them into fun series and focusing on all the good stuff i think it's cool it's it's nice that we actually have like a history channel in and discover <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i thought it was really cool um yeah I, th- I think people like it i don't know if there's anywhere you can really see it i mm-hmm. probably on the discovery website you might be able to check it out um nice. or i think the discovery usually has dvds so i, mm-hmm. I recommend it I, I really enjoyed it Nice. And let's see, that movie, that show... Uh, oh, yeah, that show was called Klondike. Klondike, thank you. Which is... <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was supposed to be a miniseries or if it was originally supposed to be like a series and just got canceled or something, but I mean, just that... The title Klondike does not make you think... I don't know. Yeah. It seems I- kind of silly but anyway um so yeah i don't have any more for potpourri so i think that about does it for this week's episode yep um so thank you guys for listening once again tickets to sharktober nervington are on sale at sharktobernervington.com you can get one dollar off the price of admission um for if you use the promo code podcast one at checkout and if you can't make it to sharktober nervington and still want to donate money to the Irvington historical society there is a, an option to donate on sharktober shocktoberandirvington.com for uh, that cause because it's a really good organization really good community and uh, really great so um, next week Tiny do you know what we're doing? No. I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think next week uh, we're going to try to review Snowden the new Oliver Stone movie absolutely about uh, Snowden and, <laughs> uh, and then we may also try to squeeze in a bonus episode reviewing Netflix's original series, Stranger Things. Yes. Because I finally watched it <laughs> weeks and weeks after everyone else has. So um, we'll at least be able to get it out there, you know, late, but, you know, yeah. better late than ever. So anyway, um, having said all that, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Yep. Okay, so. Just real quick, can you just see how pretty she is? Yeah. She's such a pretty little pizza princess. She's so pretty, my pretty little pizza. <laughs> Dear God. sweetie. Yes, she is. She is. Oh, my God. Look at her. She was so scared because the power was out. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she knows <laughs> or not. <laughs> I don't speak cat. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> not yet. Right, pizza? He doesn't. <laughs>
Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and that's going to be the tag, and everyone's going to judge me for it. I don't yes, care. Yes, they should. I love my cat, everyone. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.